All right, everybody, go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Psalm chapter 34. Psalm 34, we started uh, a series a couple of uh, weeks ago called uh, God is Good. And uh, so tonight we're going to continue on with that, um, Psalm 34. And I'm going to give a, a brief recap of, of the first week, and then we'll go into this week. So God is Good. Um, and just a reminder of part one, if you were not here or if you forgot because it has been a couple of weeks, uh, the person who wrote this, uh, Psalm 34, is David. Uh, David is on the run for his life from uh, Saul. Saul is out to kill him. Um, and, um, you know, Saul's out to kill him because of several reasons we won't get into tonight. We talked about it already. But, you know, a few things you got to remember about Saul and David's relationship is that Saul is David's father-in-law. So he loves him in that. And he's also his best friend's dad. Uh, Jonathan is David's best friend. So he has a lot of ties to Saul. And so he cares about Saul. He loves Saul. And Saul is out to kill David. Um, at this point, David had just left his best friend, Jonathan. There was this big moment. And they were like, you know, I, I told dad that you were over here so you could get away over here. And they had this moment where it's just, it's very emotional. And they, they have to leave each other. And they may never see each other again. So he just lost, he potentially lost his best friend. I mean, these things were on his mind while these things were happening. On top of that, the king of Gath is trying to kill him too. So not only is his king from where he's coming from trying to kill him, but now where he's going to find solace from his king, that king's trying to kill him as well. And in order to escape that, he acts to act like he's crazy. Like, remember we talked about how he, he like started drooling out of his mouth just to protect himself so the king would think he was nuts? So he's going through some stuff, right? He's got a lot of things happening, extremely difficult time in his life. But instead of focusing on his problems, instead of focusing on his circumstances and on his pain, he decides that he's going to focus on God. That no matter what happens around me, no matter who's trying to kill me, God is good and I'm going to focus on him. He puts his focus on the goodness of God. Instead of, and really he had plenty of room to complain. Because at this point, David, was he, they said that he was supposed to be the next king. God had anointed and appointed him to be the next king. But Saul's now trying to kill him. He had plenty of reason to complain. He could have been, oh, well, God, what's the matter with you? You, get, you promised me this stuff, and now it looks like I'm going to die, God. Come on, do your part. But instead of complaining about his life, he praises and he worships God at all times. He chooses to focus on God and he chooses to look up to God instead of around him and at his problems. He chooses to lift praises to the almighty God of the universe. Uh, just to remind you in verses 1 and 2, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. So at all times, even during the hard and difficult times, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I'm going to worship Him and praise Him and talk about how good He is no matter what is happening. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. He finds His life's meaning and purpose in God not in his circumstances, and not in his position in life. His purpose and who he is is, who, is because of who God is. 
He understands that we were created to worship and enjoy God forever. That word humble there, uh, in case you forgot, means poor in spirit. So, in other words, the only source of pure joy is in God. We talked about that last week in Philippians 4, right? The only source of pure joy is in God, and the only way to be in a right relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Matthew 5.3, Jesus says, Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then finally, uh, last, last time I, I had the opportunity to speak, we, we covered verse 3 too. It says, O magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. And remember, we talked about that corporate worship brings us together and we help each other and we protect each other as the family or the body of Christ. Remember we talked about that? That, that we come together and, and through corporate worship as we lift up the name of God together, that, that strengthens one another and we protect each other and keep each other accountable and protected from the outside. And, and as you think on God and as you focus on God and as you sing to and about Him and all His goodness, it changes everything. It changes everything. All things are brought into perspective, right? And you realize that no matter what happens, God is good, He is above all things, He is sovereign, and nothing is out of His realm or beyond His control. And that is where peace and contentment, that's where peace and contentment we find in all circumstances is because of who God is. So tonight we're going to focus on one verse. And you're like, wow, so we're going to get out early, right? No, no, we're going to focus on one verse the way I focus on one verse. So verse 4, it says, I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. That term, sought the Lord, it also means I asked the Lord for help. So I sought Him, I asked Him for help, and what did He do? He answered me. Now, a lot of us that were raised in church, or maybe you've been around it long enough to know, we know that God knows all things. Right? That's just one of those things that we talk about all the time. God knows all things. And He knows the needs of His children. Right? So that might say, well then if He knows all things and He knows our needs, then why do we even need to ask? Right? We ask that, well, so some of us think that way. If, if God knows, then why should I even have to ask? And the reason is, is because He wants us to diligently seek Him. Just like it says, I sought the Lord. He wants us to diligently seek Him, to take our requests to Him and our praises, not just our requests, but also our praises, that's important, and bring them to Him and He will answer us. We say, how do you know that? Because the Bible says it. David says it. David said, I, I called and he answered. That's how it works. 
In Matthew 7, 7, it says, Seek and you will find, knock, and the door will be opened. And, and here's, when we talk about seeking and we talk about uh, asking, we ask Him through prayer and we seek Him through His Word. Y'all understand that? We ask Him through prayer and we seek Him through His Word. God, our Father, has provided two of the greatest gifts that we could ask for. And two of the things that we take for granted the most as Christians. We do. And that is prayer and the Word of God. Those are two of the most amazing gifts and blessings that God has bestowed on us or has given to us freely and we completely act like neither one of them are there. Do you understand that through prayer we have a direct line with the creator of the universe? We have a direct line. We can tap into the source of all things. And the way that we have that is through Jesus Christ. We have to have Jesus in order to have that communication with God. Because the Bible says that we are enemies with God apart from Jesus Christ. So through Jesus, through a relationship with Jesus, we have a direct line with the creator of the universe and we have his word, his actual word to us. These are God-breathed words. And we have the help of the Holy Spirit to help us understand it. With the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit wrapped up into prayer and the Word. It says, it continues in verse 3. Excuse me, verse 4. I sought the Lord, He answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. He delivered me from all my fears. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna camp here for the rest of the night. He delivered me from all my fears. And he, this is not talking about silly phobias, right? It's not talking about silly things like I'm afraid of the dark, okay? It's not talking about I'm afraid of spiders. It's not talking about I'm afraid of snakes. It's not talking about afraid of clowns or anything like that. There's a real phobia of clowns. I understand. I get that. They're weird. Okay, I know. Caleb's really afraid of clowns now, but you can ask him about that later. Um, but he's not talking about silly phobias like that. He's talking about... <laughs> And the reason I know that is because I know what's going on in David's life right now because David is fearing death at this moment in his life. He is fearing for his life. Not these first world problems that we have. Oh, my battery's going to die on my phone. What will I ever do? No. He could die. And he said that God delivered him from that fear. His life's in danger from the person he loves that's chasing him to the person he's trying to find solace in and this other king from the front and the back. 
So, students, I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to be honest. How many of us truly have to fear death like this? Not a lot of hands going up. And now it depends on what side of town you live on. I get that. But how many of us truly fear death like this? Someone is diligently seeking to kill you. Is anyone fearing that? No, because it's not happening. Right? <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't know, maybe. I'm kind of a jerk. But you know what? That's, you know, I don't know your life, okay? Top two fears in the world. One, loneliness. Two, and death. One is loneliness. Two is death. Top two fears in the world. Yes. <laughs> Some people fear loneliness more than death. Some people would rather be dead than alone. You know? I mean, look at the suicide rate. I hate to say that, and I hate to be so morbid, but it's true. Loneliness and death. And those are real phobias. Real. So I'm going to ask you, and this is not for you to answer out loud. I want you to think about it in your heart, in your mind. Think about this. What are some of the things that you're afraid of? And I'm talking about real fears. Not spiders and snakes and ladders and clowns. I'm talking ladder by height. That's what I'm talking about when I say ladders. I mean height. Don't look at me that way. All right. <clears throat> what are some real things you're afraid of? Maybe you're afraid of being alone. Maybe you do have a genuine fear of death. Like you, you don't know what's going to... You're not sure what happens when we're done here. Maybe you have a fear of inadequacy. What that means, if you don't know, is you're not good enough. Maybe you feel like you're not enough for people, for your family. Maybe you have a fear of failure. That's a big one. Fear of failure. And so that either brings, you either don't try or you get too involved emotionally and you lash out. I mean, those are your kind of two options there. So think about these fears, and I want you to think about what David said here, okay? It's really easy for me just to read this verse and say, apply it, right? But we're going to go further than that. We're going to talk about real application. Because according to David, according to the Word of God, if you seek the Lord and ask Him for help, He can and will deliver you from all your fears. How? Because Jesus is the answer to all our fears. Jesus is the cure to all of our phobias. For David and, and the people in this time frame, he was reconciled to God through the promise of the coming Messiah and his faith that God would provide. They had faith that God would do what he said he would do and send a Messiah. And they showed that faith by going and, and doing those Passover events every single year. I do this because I love God and I believe that one day he will send one lamb to cover the sins of all mankind because he promised us that from the beginning. For us, we are reconciled to God through the promises fulfilled by the Messiah and our faith in Him. 
What does reconciled mean? Reconciled means that you are brought back into relationship with God. And that's the point. That's the point. Be reconciled to God. Brought back into relationship with God the way He originally intended it in the garden through the work of Jesus Christ. A reconciled relationship with God through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is what delivers us from any and all fears that we may encounter. Did y'all catch that? I said it kind of fast, so I'll say it again. A reconciled relationship with God through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is what delivers us from any and all fears that we may encounter. Once you realize that you need to be in relationship with God, and the only way to have that is through what Jesus did for us on the cross, then He not only delivers you from your fears, but also delivers you from your sin and the penalty of sin. Praise God. Let's look at some of those fears. Fear of death. A lot of people are afraid of death. They have, they're worried. They don't know what's coming. They're not sure. The Bible says that there's no need to fear death. There's no need to fear death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. What does that mean? That means what I earn, what I do, what I earn based on what I do in my sins means that I should be dead or eternally separated from God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through who? Jesus Christ our Lord. So I have eternal life because of what Jesus did, and that negates the wrong that I did. So what I earned is now put on Him, and He died so I didn't have to endure death. He did so I could have everlasting life. I have no need to fear death because I'm not worried what's on the other side because the Bible says I have eternal life in Jesus. 2 Timothy 1.10 says, Jesus Christ abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That was 2 Timothy 1.10. You need to go back and read that because Jesus Christ abolished death. He got rid of it. It has no place anymore because of what Jesus did through the gospel. I don't have to be afraid. In fact, you want to know who wasn't afraid? Paul. Paul was so not afraid that in Philippians 1.21, he said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So when the jailer came and was like, we're going to kill you, fantastic, because then I get to go to glory. Well, then we're going to keep you alive. That's cool, because I'm going to lead everybody to Jesus that's around me. Nothing mattered. You don't want to play chicken with a dude like that, right? <laughs> you don't. To live is Christ. If I'm going to stay on this earth, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to do everything as unto Him for His glory. And if you want to kill me, fantastic, because I don't die. I just go to heaven. To live is Christ. To die is gain. You have no need to be afraid of death, students, because death has no hold on you. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Death, where is your sting? You have a victory, 
Jack. You are dead. <laughs> Students, you have no fear. You don't need to fear being alone. You do not need to fear being alone. Because you're never alone as a child of God. Did you know that? You're never alone as a child of God. And students, I know this is bothering most of the generation that is here. Why? Because you're always on social media. <laughs> always, 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 always. You don't want to be alone. You get some kind of, and I do it too. I'm not, I'm not saying just you, I'm not calling you out. But we get some kind of like need met when someone likes something that we put on there and we get more followers and we're like, oh, wow, I'm accepted. I'm not alone in this world. But that only lasts so long until you realize that that is not real. You are never alone as a child of God. Proverbs 18.24 they talk about a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's someone, it says that there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And then Jesus says in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then at 14, he says, you're my friends if you do what I command you. Jesus says we are his friends. Why? Because he laid down his life for us. Right? He laid down his life and then said that we are his friend. You have a friend in Jesus. Uh, in, in James 2, I'm going to read it. In James 2, uh, 23. In the book of James 2, 23. It says, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Why was he called a friend of God? Because Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's what salvation is, students. That's what the gospel is. We believe God. We believe what he says, and that counts unto us as righteousness. We have the righteousness of Christ applied to our lives so that when God sees us, he sees Jesus and we are his friend. You are not alone. You want someone to be a good friend? How about God? <laughs> the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. You're not alone. You have the Holy Spirit in you as a child of God. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? He's like, don't, don't you know that? Don't you realize that the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity, lives in you? He dwells. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.14 says the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And that's one of those fancy words for he makes himself at home. You ever go to someone's house that you're friends with and they tell you, they, they make yourself at home, right? Basically, at the cows, that means get your own food and drinks, Amen. make yourself at home, right? Amen. Amen. But the Holy Spirit, 
He makes himself at home in us. So what is your home like? That's another sermon. We're not going to go there tonight. But what's your home like? We're not going to talk about that. But you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You are never alone. And you're immediately a part of the family of God. You're immediately in the body of believers. You, are, you never have to go through anything by yourself ever again. You realize that as a Christian, you are never alone. Every time you're around another believer, that's a brother and sister in Christ that can carry you and help you. Ephesians uh, 2.19 says that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens and member of the household of God. Hallelujah. You are not alone. You are never alone. You have God. You have Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit. And you have each other as a child of God. No need. You never are alone. You ever fear not being enough? I do. That's my problem. Fear of not being enough. Inadequate. Not meeting the measurements that either someone makes for me or I make for myself. Did you know that Jesus thought that you were enough? Jesus thought you were enough. And he showed it when he died on the cross for you. He said, you're enough. You want to know why I say that? Because Romans 5.8 For God demonstrated His love. For God showed us His love. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love that verse, man. Why? Because I didn't have to earn it. I didn't have to meet a standard. I didn't have to be someone for Jesus to love. I didn't have to fall into this mold of who people think I should be for Jesus to say, I love you, and I'm going to die for you. Students, that should change everything. Because you don't have to perform he took the first step. He said, you are enough. And then in Romans 8, Romans 8, 31 through 39, one of my favorite passages of Scripture of all time. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who? Who? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? <laughs> you are enough for God to give his only son. Why don't you think you're enough now? And who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, 
who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus is at the right hand of God and he's talking to the Father on your behalf. That's how enough you are. Is that Christ is talking to God about you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And here we go. For I am persuaded, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from His love. You can't be a certain way. You can't run far enough. He loves you just the way you are. You are enough. So don't ever worry about that, students, because when Jesus, when you accepted Jesus and you accepted His righteousness, you know what that means? That means that when God looks at you, He sees Jesus. So when God looks at you, He will never, ever be disappointed in you. They'll never be disappointed in you. So don't ever be afraid that you're not enough. Because according to Jesus, you are more than enough. And that kind of goes along with, are you afraid of failure? Are you afraid to, to fail? See, we have a lot of pressure to be perfect, right? In everything. We have pressure to be perfect at school, in sports, at church, at home. We have an amazing amount of pressure to be perfect. And we don't help ourselves at all by going through like Facebook and Instagram and seeing how everyone else's life is perfect and how ours isn't, right? And then we put this unneeded pressure on ourselves to look like we're having fun even though you know, we're not really having a lot of good time. Oh, selfie, I'm awesome. And then you put the phone down and then you cry. It's true. It's true. These unneeded and unrealistic expectations we put on ourselves, no wonder we're afraid to fail because you're going to fail if you constantly compare yourself to that. But based on the scripture already read in Romans and, and what I'm about to read to you, there's nothing we can do Listen, there's nothing we can do to escape His love and no sin is too big that He can't forgive us. Isn't that great? Isn't that fantastic to know? There's nothing you can do. Go to Psalm uh, 103. Psalm 103. I'm going to read a few verses and we're going to end. Psalm 103, verse 8. It says, I'm going to read a few verses. 103.8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. Praise God. The Lord is merciful and gracious. It says that He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. 
That verse alone, students, should take all fear away. Because the Lord is merciful and gracious. That means that, you know what? He's going to be patient with us. That means that He's going to show mercy and grace toward us. He's not going to give us what we do deserve. And He's going to give us something that we don't deserve. And He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Verse 9, He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. Verse 10, He does not deal with us according to our sins. Catch that? He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Why? Because Jesus already did that. Jesus already took care of that. His blood washed the sin. It's gone. So when things happen, you're like, I guess God's punishing me. Why would he be punishing you? He already did the punishment on Jesus for you. He does not deal with us according to our sin, nor pay us according to our iniquities. Listen to this. For as high as the heavens above, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love toward those who fear Him. Those who have a reverence toward Him. Those who see Him for who He is. It says that as high as the heavens are above the earth, the so far that we came and see is how much He loves you. Verse 12 as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. Does east mean west ever? No. no. And that's how far it goes. It just keeps going. So in the Old Testament, they had this uh, custom where they had a, a, a donkey. And the priest would, would basically like kind of uh, symbolically take the sins of the people and place them on this donkey, and then they would set it out into the wilderness, and it would just wander off. And that was a picture of how God had forgiven their sins, and it would just continue to go, and it would go and go, and it was as far as the east is from the west. As a father shows compassion, verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. Verse 14, this is good. For He knows our frame, or He knows how we're formed. He remembers that we are dust. And you might say, well, is that where they got the song, Dust in the Wind? Maybe, I'm assuming, if you even know what that song is. But they weren't thinking that. I know, it's cool. It's all right. What does that verse mean? He knows our frame. He knows how we were made. He remembers that we're just dust. He knows that we're just human. God knows it. The one who made us knows that, hey, y'all are just humans. He gives us room and grace and mercy to make mistakes. So students, Give yourself a break. You don't have to be perfect. God doesn't expect you to be. Why? Because He knows that He knows how you were formed. He knows that you're merely human. Now that doesn't give us a license to sin. Paul would say, God forbid, in Romans, right? They would say, well, does that mean we should sin more? Paul says, God forbid, absolutely not. 
We shouldn't do this as a license to sin, but instead we see this as a reason to say, thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you, God, for your steadfast love that you look at me and, and treat me better than I treat me. Don't be afraid of failure. And don't set the bar so high that you'll never make it because God knows that we are just humans. And He loves us anyway. So the point of tonight is verse, Psalm 34, verse 4. Seek the Lord and He will deliver you. Did you catch that? It's real deep. Seek the Lord, and He will deliver you. And tonight we, we dove into what that means. And I pray, students, that I pray that you have accepted that gift of grace and mercy from God, and that is to be reconciled to Him through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you've never done that, we want to encourage you tonight. You need to be in right relationship with God for your life here on earth and your life after earth. Do you want to not fear death? Then you need a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Because apart from that, you should fear death. Right? I don't want to sugarcoat this and make it something it's not because apart from a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you will die and go to hell. That's in the Bible too. All that great stuff I just said, it's in here. And the thing I just said, it's in here too. So if you want to have a life, a life in general, let's just put it that way. If you want to have a life, if you want to overcome your fears, if you want to make sure that you will spend an eternity with God in heaven, then you need to come to that point where you say, I, am, I know I'm a sinner. Remember we talked about this, Romans chapter 5. In that while we were still sinners, we are sinners. We're born sinners. And that sin separates us from a relationship with God. But God in His grace and mercy sent Himself as Jesus and took on Himself the punishment for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God and be back in right relationship with God. The Bible says if you believe in that, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. If you believe, I believe that Jesus came to this earth, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross, he rose from the grave, he's in heaven today. And you believe that somehow that counted for you, you can be saved and be delivered from all fears. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for these students. I thank you for the fact that they were so attentive tonight. I thank you that they paid attention. And God, I pray that it's more than just listening, but that they'll actually apply. That God, they won't be like the person that James wrote about that just kind of looks at it, then turn, looks in the mirror, then turns away and forgets what they look like. But instead that they will focus on this and that they will see this and they will apply it to their life. That they will not be hearers only of the word, but doers of the word. I pray that any student here who has never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that they will come to that knowledge and that they will listen to the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit as they, the Holy Spirit urges them to receive Christ, to, 
to pray and ask you to forgive them of their sins and to give their life over to you and to your lordship. God, I pray that we can one day stand as David did and say that we called and sought you and you delivered us from all of our fears. God, what do we have to fear when we have you? If, if you are for us, then what could ever be against us? And the thing is, God, is that we sit here and start thinking about these lists of things that are against us because there are a lot of things that are against us. We know that. But when, when you're for us, none of that stuff matters. And I pray that these students will come to that realization, to that knowledge, that head and heart knowledge of who you are and will fear you with reverence and come before you and ask for salvation. And I pray that those who are saved, God, they've truly accepted you and that, that, that they're following after you, that they will not allow the things of this earth to bring fear into their hearts because they have nothing to fear when they have you. No need to fear of death because you've defeated it. No need to fear of being alone because they have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the body of Christ. There's no need to fear like they don't, that they're not good enough because you showed that we were good enough by going to the cross. And there's no need to, to fear failure because you look at us and realize we're humans and you don't expect us to be perfect. And I pray we won't expect ourselves to be perfect. God, deliver us from our, our fears that we make up and to allow you to deliver us from those. We love you so much, God. We pray that everything we do will bring glory and honor to your name. And it's in your name we pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen.